You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Well, let's get our Bibles out this morning and flip them open to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to take a look from now until Christmas at a a series entitled The Journey. Uh, The Journey. A lot of work when you're going on a journey, and this journey um, from before um, time began through until uh, the birth of Jesus Christ, the work of Christ on the cross, and uh, will go on for eternity is an amazing work, an amazing journey uh, as part of the working of God. And uh, you know when you're going on a journey, there's work involved on it. Sue and I uh, had the privilege to be away for the last uh, 12 days. Uh, We were on a little journey. We uh, uh, took our daughter and a son-in-law and two grandchildren children and we went to Florida for a week and, and then we went on a short cruise and got off the plane at um, about 12:15 uh, on Saturday morning and uh, went to bed and then got back to church here and uh, a lot of work when you're getting ready for a journey you uh, start by trying to decide where you're going to go and once you do that you've got to get your car reservations done and your motel reservations and then when you're going on a cruise you've got to get your parking things all done you got to have your boarding passes and you got to have your luggage tags, and then when you're coming back off the boat, you got to fill out your U.S. custom thing, and there's a lot of work when you're going on a journey, and uh, now that kind of journey is worth it. We had a great time, but we're sure glad to be home, um, but the journey we want to talk about today, uh, that was just fun. That was just family, and we had a great time together, but the journey we're talking about here has eternal consequence. Uh, the journey of, of God sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, um, to solve a problem that we couldn't solve is an amazing, amazing journey. We're going to look at it over these weeks, right through to Christmas. Uh, today, we want to take a look at a message entitled Foretold, and it's a really uh, looking into the prophecies, looking into uh, what was, was God saying in the Old Testament in preparation of this journey uh, that would come. And next week, Lord willing, we want to take a look at a group of people uh, who went on a journey to see Jesus Christ. We're going to call them the disenfranchised. Um, they were the shepherds. Uh, they were out in their field watching over their sheep, and uh, shepherds were looked down on. They were a lower class. They weren't allowed to uh, uh, give witness in a court, and, uh, and yet the disenfranchised were invited to come and uh, meet Jesus. Uh, and then we'll take a look at the privileged, and we'll study the uh, wise men and how they saw the star and, and how they made their preparation for their journey and ended up in Jerusalem and then in, in Bethlehem and, and the, uh, the preparation and the journey of the privileged. Uh, both of those groups, when they got to Jesus, virtually did the same thing. Um, then we will take a look at the uh, journey of the faithful, and we'll take a look at Mary and uh, what went on in her life, and uh, that'll be on Christmas Eve, and then on uh, Christmas Day, we'll take a look at the journey of the sovereign, and take a look at the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, so that's the the series we're going to see, and uh, we're going to start today in Isaiah chapter 9, as we continue the journey, taking a look at some of the Old Testament factors, and so let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word, Isaiah chapter 9, and I'm going to start in verse 2 through to the end of verse 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulders and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian." 
For every boot of the trampling war in battle, tumult, and, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of, and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. That's found in these verses. What is contained here, God, is amazing as we consider the journey. The journey of our Savior to Bethlehem, the journey of our Savior to the cross, and the hope that is ours as a result. So God, would you give us ears to hear your word today, minds to understand it, and then Lord, would you give us hearts that would be changed to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ that would live out for your fame and your glory? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can take your seats. Well, I want to take a look at three things primarily today. The uh, first thing is about the journey. What is it about? And the journey is about man's condition. Uh, this journey of Christ coming, this journey of the Savior coming to earth is really coming out of a sense of man's condition. Uh, you'll see back in verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Uh, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned Everyone. Now look at your neighbor and say, everyone. Everyone. There's nobody left out of this. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus Christ, all of our iniquity, the iniquity of us all. And so when we understand the reality, this journey was a result of man's condition, we need to see a couple things about it. First of all, that our failure in this is universal. It's universal. It says a man walked in darkness. Everyone in this room either is walking in darkness or once walked in darkness. Now that's the plight of everyone on the face of the earth. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you put your faith and trust in Christ, you now walk in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with him and with other believers. But at one time, we all walked in darkness, and it was a universal condition. First uh, Peter 2.25 says, you were straying like sheep, all of you, all of us. But now have returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. And so this condition of darkness, this condition of separation from God caused by sin is a universal thing. But I think sometimes you say that to people and they're like, well, okay, so, you know, everybody else, it's just kind of it's for everyone. But no, 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 no. This condition of separation, this condition of darkness, not only is it universal, but more specifically with a laser, it is personal. It is personal. Every single person in the room is either walking in darkness or walked in darkness. No one is excluded from it. I love the verse in Romans 3, 10 and 11. None is righteous. So outside of Christ, how many people are righteous? None. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. It's like if you didn't get it the first time I said it, I'm going to say it again and again and again and again. I want to make sure you get it. Paul says none is righteous. No, not one. 
Not one understands. No one seeks for God. And so this man's condition, this walking in darkness, it's not only a universal failure, but it is a specific personal failure. And we all have to come to the place of understanding that. And we will either on this side or when we stand before God in judgment. But there is none who is righteous. Everyone's in darkness and there is no hope. Sure glad I came to church today, Pastor. Thanks for the good news. You know, I often wondered, I was sitting about the thing about this yesterday at home and then in my office before the service last night. Just wondering how I would have done if I was like in the Old Testament. And I'm hearing Isaiah say these things. And I'm like, what do I do with this? Well, with this wonderful king, this master counselor, this prince of people, what, what, what do I do with this? See, we look at it and we go, why didn't they get it? Or maybe we were, we were actually with Jesus when he was on earth and we were following him around and we were hearing his teaching and we were wondering and I'm so thankful I was born in the day when we know the rest of the story. See, it's so easy for us to look back and go, why didn't they get it? Why didn't they get it? Well, we get it because we know. We know the rest of the story. We wonder now about eternity and what's still to come and, and we accept those things by faith. Can you imagine what they had to accept by faith because they didn't understand and they didn't have it and yet they believed a God helping us to be great people of faith. There's none righteous, not even one. Man's condition is we find ourselves in darkness. But here's the good news. God has a solution. The journey is also about God's solution. Look at the very last line of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You're walking in darkness. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't fix it. But God says, I'm on it. I've got this covered. And I'm not going to do it in some passive way. We'll see how it works out for mankind. It says the zeal of the Lord of hosts is on this. Now think about the thing you get most excited about. Basket weaving, quilting, hockey, and, 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 and Toronto FC. I don't, I don't know what your thing is and how, how wrapped up you can get in that and how excited you can be about that. Well, well, the Lord says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God is on this problem that we have, and he's going to solve it. God has the solution. Uh, Isaiah has already said, one page back in your Bible, in Isaiah 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means a God with us. There are other prophecies in the Old Testament that talked about where Christ would be born in Bethlehem and all the rest of that. Today I'm really going to be in Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 7. Uh, and here he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive. Uh, this was God's solution. Take a look at the work of God. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. The first word in that text is, um, it says, therefore, the Lord himself. Behold the virgin. Uh, that word behold is not, if you're reading this in a play, it's not like, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. That's not the weight of the word at all. The weight of the word is more like this. Ah! Behold! 
It's like, get your attention. Don't miss this. The next thing you're about to hear is going to change the world. That's the weight of the world, of the word. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. This is the working of God. This is what he is going to do. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Behold, see what God is doing here. This is a working of God. This is God's solution. You see, the improbable servant of God that he, he uses says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive. We now know that that was Mary. They didn't know that at the time. We now know that it was Mary. And in the New Testament, it says that she found favor with God. This 16, 17-year-old young lady found favor with God. Not a lot in Scripture that tells us why. We're going to study Mary when we talk about the faithful in this journey. But um, so she found favor with God. I was thinking about that in my own life and asking when, when God looks down at me, would he see someone following after him, desiring after him? And he would say, there's Paul. He found favor with God. Now, there is a sense that he found favor in that God chose her but there also was a sense that she was a godly woman and was ready to be in a position to be used by God. And so when you think about your last week, when you think about what you did in the last seven days, if God was looking to use someone to turn the world upside down, would he look at your life and your lifestyle and say, that person, I want that person. Behold the virgin found favor with God, I shall conceive. Um, Catholics and some others believe in a doctrine called the Immaculate Conception. It's not referring to the conception of Jesus Christ, but rather to the conception of Mary. Um, the only real true Immaculate Conception was the Immaculate Conception of Jesus. Um, Mary's conception was not immaculate, but it's what has been taught in church tradition. And essentially, the immaculate conception is a belief that Mary was protected from original sin, that Mary did not have a sin nature and was, in fact, sinless. Uh, the problem with the doctrine of the immaculate conception is it's not found in the Bible. It's not. I challenged the service last night. I challenged the service at 9 o'clock this morning. I challenge you. You find... The sinlessness of Mary and the immaculate conception of Mary in the Bible and you bring it to me and next week I'll apologize to the church. It's just not there. It's just not there. It's a man-made thing. Mary was not sinless. The immaculate conception is not taught in the Bible. The Bible nowhere describes Mary as anything but an ordinary human. The Bible does not even hint that there was any, anything significant about Mary's conception. She was undoubtedly a godly woman. She found favor with God. She was undoubtedly a wonderful wife and a mother. And she definitely was loved by her son, Jesus Christ, who, who cherished her. But the Bible gives no reason to believe that Mary was sinless. In fact, the Bible uses every reason to believe that Jesus Christ is the only person who was not infected by sin and never committed sin. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
1 Peter 2.22 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And so God, in his solution to this, takes this improbable servant and he's going to use her to give birth to the Son of God who will change the world. The imperative of the plan of God, behold, the virgin shall conceive. It wasn't an optional thing. This was a thing that God was going to do. All of this was in God's plan from before time. In Genesis 3, 15, uh, after the fall of man, we have um, God speaking to Satan. He says, but I will put enmity between you and the woman. I will, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, that's speaking of Jesus, and you shall bruise his heel. Because God's plan is being set in motion and nothing's going to stop it. The virgin shall conceive. And then we see the impossible accomplishment of God. The virgin shall conceive. Uh, the word virgin in the Old Testament here is the word Alma, A-L-M-A. And critics would say, well, it doesn't actually mean virgin like somebody who's never had sex. It, it just means a young maiden. And there is a sense where that's true. I wouldn't even argue that that's not true. But there's a huge problem with that, that the skeptics overlook. And the fact that each time the Bible uses that word for a woman, it never uses it, the one who has been sexually active. Never. And, and when God comes to Mary and says, um, you're going to have a baby, she's like, uh-uh. I took biology in grade nine. Not going to happen. But she knew she couldn't have a baby. She knew she had never had sex. Like she's, she's the greatest defense of the whole thing that the virgin shall conceive. Because God is going to do a miracle. God is going to do a work through the power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1.20, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's a working of God. Mary is confused. She doesn't understand. She can't have a baby. But she's going to because God is going to do a work. And, and, and this birth, the virgin shall conceive, is critical. It's critical to our theology. It's critical to how sin is passed down and how the seed is passed down. And God is going to do the impossible to accomplish his work. Because man's condition is he's walking in darkness. God's solution is he's going to provide the Messiah, the Savior. And as we see in Isaiah 7, he's going to do it uh, through the virgin who we now know was Mary. But here's the reality. What is this journey about? The third thing, this journey is about Jesus. This journey about who is this Jesus? For to you, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called. Uh, we didn't know his name would be Jesus until we get to Matthew chapter 1. You will call his name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. And he will be called the Christ. And he will be called Lord. But his name would be called Jesus. Isaiah didn't know what his name would be. Um, the uh, Old Testament prophets didn't know. Uh, but when he came, the Lord God gave him a name. Jesus, Jehovah, is salvation. But what Isaiah had for us, which is sweet, 
he had this. And the government shall be upon his, no his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. It's really one name. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He'll be called the Wonderful Counselor. Why? Because the world is messed up. Because the world is in darkness. Uh, just look around the room and look at all the messed up people in this church. You people are a ragtag bag of mess up of whom I am chief. And we need a wonderful counselor. That's what we needed. We needed a wonderful counselor. We're so needy in our lives. We need more than just cheap advice. We need strength and God's word. We don't just need consultations, but we need hope. We need someone who will guide us. We're looking for purpose. Man is so needy, looking for the purpose of life, asking, why am I here? What is good and what is evil? Is this all there is? Or after I drop off the face of the earth, is this all there is? We need a wonderful counselor. How do I get rid of all the guilt I'm carrying? How do I get rid of the, the pressures I have, the sense of failure in my past? And we have a wonderful counselor who has the answer to all of those things. I find myself anxious and filled with anxiety about so many things. How do I find those things and get them resolved? We have a wonderful counselor and his name is Jesus Christ. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Romans eleven thirty three to 36 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. That's the guy I want to go to when I need help. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Uh, no one has because he is the truth. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. He is a wonderful counselor who gives wonderful counsel. An amazing mix of grace and truth and mercy and love. When we need to be disciplined, he brings discipline. When we need to be corrected, he brings corrected. When we need to be encouraged, he brings encouragement. When we need hope, he brings us hope because the wonderful counselor is filled with wonderful counsel. When we study this book, uh, the book of Judges, Joshua said, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, night, night. So, so you, you may be careful to do according to all the for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And Timothy, Paul wrote, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. The wonderful counselor brings us wonderful counsel and he is a wonderful model. He is a wonderful model. A Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The Lord Jesus Christ not only is a wonderful counselor with wonderful counsel, but he also, he is the one who's our model. 
We see that modeled in his coming to earth. We see that modeled in his going to the temple when he was 12 years old. We see that modeled in the way he dealt with anger. We see that modeled in the way he suffered in the garden. We see that modeled in the way that he went to the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ is the model. Every question you have an answer to in this world, the answer or the principles for the answer to that will come right out of this book because we have a wonderful counselor. If you're turning on your television and watching Oprah for your wonderful counsel, you're going to the wrong place. Oprah's not the wonderful counselor. Take a brick and throw it through your television set or change the channel. She's not a wonderful counselor. As a matter of fact, she's leading people into darkness. And people are sucked into watching these ditties that go on all the time. And, and then her good friend, Dr. Phil, who's just as messed up as she is. And yet believers watch this garbage and they listen to it. And you need help? Go to the wonderful counselor. Go to the Lord Jesus Christ. You go off on your own journey to find yourself. You don't need to go find yourself. God already found you. Get in the word. He is the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the mighty God. Jesus Christ was the creator. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He's filled with all the attributes of holiness and justice and love. And he is sovereign. He is in control. He is worthy of our worship. He is mighty to save. He is our mighty God. He is our everlasting Father. He cares for us. I grew up in a home, a good Christian home. I'm very thankful for that. And I had a dad who sought to be a good example to us and teach us good work ethic and, and got us to church and wanted us to know the Lord. And I grew up in some things where I had an example of a great father. Not a perfect father, but a great father. Uh, we have a picture here of an everlasting father. Some of you didn't grow up with the privilege that I grew up with. Some of you, your dad walked out on your family somewhere along and you've been blaming yourself or people have blamed you for what went on or you just always wondered and you've never had that or maybe your dad, your dad died and you didn't have a father to grow up with. Jesus Christ is your everlasting father. And the things that a good father would do, the Lord Jesus Christ does for us. We look to him for the example of, of how he loves us, how he protects us, how he supplies security for us, how he disciplines us, how he supplies our every need, and how he never gives up on us. After 70 times 7 plus 1 failures, God doesn't say, that's it, you're done. He never gives up. He'd have given up on me a long, long time ago. But he's an everlasting father. That's who Jesus is. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. The prince of peace. What a great thing to know that we can have peace in a world that's filled with turmoil. We can have peace, the peace of God. We can know it. It indwells us. It rules in our hearts. In Philippians 4, it says, don't be anxious about anything. Really? 
Not even all the stuff going on in the world today. Not even the situation of my job. Not even, the, not even my medical report I'm waiting to hear. Not even my... You don't need to be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and set your minds in Christ. It's the peace of God. It's the peace that also comes from God. Isaiah also wrote, you keep him in perfect peace. How? Whose mind whose mind is stayed on you or fixed on you because he trusts in you. If you're lacking peace today, I would like to suggest to you it's because you don't have your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. You got your eyes fixed on your circumstances. You got your eyes fixed on, and I'm not saying we're not supposed to work hard. I'm not saying we're not supposed to consider things. But if you're filled with anxiety, then you're not allowing God to be your peace. Don't know what the answer to that's going to be. Don't know how it's going to work out. But I choose to trust the Lord. And I will have peace. I found it interesting during the election down in the States how anxious I was getting about things. It was just, I've mentioned this to you already. And I got to the point, I'm just turning the news off. I don't need any more of that garbage. And, but that didn't solve the problem. And, and their thing in the States is, is no worse than our thing in Canada. We just are quieter about it as Canadians. We got, we got a premier who wants to change the arrangement of what you call moms and dads, and we don't use those terms anymore, and we're in a mess. And I found myself getting pretty worked up about it. And then one day, it's like, who's on the throne? Who is on the throne? It's not a prime minister or a premier in Canada. It's not a president in the United States. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is on the throne. And when I got my eyes fixed on that, the rest of it just became dribble. Should we speak out against something? I think we should. I think we have an opportunity to do that. I think we should do it. I think we should do it legally and in a lawful way. I, but, but we don't need to worry about these things. God wasn't surprised when any of those, maybe, maybe they're there as part of God's judgment on all of us. And, and we're going to have to live through it and be an example through it and have the peace of God in it. Don't be anxious about anything. But remember who's on the throne. Jesus Christ is the prince of peace. And he alone is our peace. In Ephesians 2, 14, Paul wrote this. Remember, this is a guy who's sitting in prison most of his Christian life. He says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that darkness that we're all walking in that we see in Isaiah chapter 9 in verse 2. The Lord Jesus Christ, he is the one who has come and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. I'm separated from God and I have no hope. And the Lord Jesus Christ came and he made a plan and he suffered for me so that I could be reconciled to God so that I could have the peace of God ruling in my heart. Do you? Not do you ever get anxious. I'm not talking about that. But do you have the peace of God? The peace of God that comes in salvation. 
The peace of God that comes when we are reconciled back to God. When the redemption plan, the payment is made for you and you are redeemed back to God and you are reconciled with him. Have you been reconciled with him or are you still walking as a person in darkness? You say, what are you saying? You're better than me? I'm not saying that at all. The only difference between a Christian and a person who's not a Christian is Jesus Christ. It's not about how great we are. It's about how great he is. And we need to be reconciled to God because sin separated us. And this working of Christmas, Jesus coming, was really just the precursor to what he would do on the cross so we could be reconciled to God. And all we do to receive the gift is believe. You can't earn it. You couldn't do enough work. You can't meet the standard. God did the work in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He paid the price. You receive the gift. It seems too simple. That's the way it is. That's the way God did it. Because he's awesome. He's amazing. Could have made us work for this for the rest of our lives and maybe get in. Are you kidding me? God said, I'm going to give you a gift. It's called eternal life in Jesus Christ the Lord. And what happens is we come to the place of understanding that I am so messed up and screwed up. I got to turn away from that and I'm going to turn towards the Lord. And because of what Christ said, I received the gift. That's called repentance. You accept the fact you're a sinner. You receive the gift of eternal life and you're saved. If you haven't done that today, I want to urge you that this would be the day when you would trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. This would be the day that you would stop walking in darkness and start walking in the light. It's a gift. It's available to you. All you have to do is you have to receive it. Well, as those who have peace, then we let the peace of God rule in our hearts. That was what Colossians says, to which indeed you were called. In Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The peace is offered to us as a gift in salvation, and then God's peace comes with us as we work through growing up in our sanctification, being more like Jesus Christ, God and us working together to, to work in this growth path, not to save us, but as followers of Jesus Christ. We be people of peace. It's a choice. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Man's condition is we're walking in darkness. God's solution, he will send a son. And that son was Jesus Christ. And he is your mighty counselor. So he's your wonderful counselor. He's your mighty God. He's your everlasting father. He is your prince of peace. Well, so what? So what? Hundreds of years after Isaiah's prophecies were written, they were fulfilled in Christ. And so let's pretend now that it's the December that Jesus would be born. Probably wasn't born in December, but it's the month before. And Mary's nine months pregnant. And she's about to give birth. And not fully understanding what this birth would mean or what it would accomplish, but ultimately, 
This story is about the Savior. And ultimately, it's about our salvation and the cross. In Acts 4, 11 and 12, it says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. He walked in darkness, all of us. This stone, Jesus, was rejected by you, the builders, which has been the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. John Calvin said about Isaiah 9, he said, when it appears to us that everything is ruins, let us remember that Christ is called wonderful because he has inconceivable methods of assisting us and because his power is far beyond what we are able to conceive. And when we need counsel, let us remember that he is the counselor. And when we need strength, let us remember that he is, the mighty, he is mighty and strong. When we are inwardly tossed by the storms of life, and when Satan attempts to disturb our consciences, let us remember that Christ is the Prince of Peace and that it's easy for him to deal with our uneasy feelings. The things you wrestle with, the things you struggle with, the things you don't know what to do with are taken care of in Jesus Christ. The journey of the gospel is foretold in the Old Testament. And it said, you walked in darkness but I'm sending you a marvelous light. And his name is Jesus. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be reminded. You need to look and see and focus and understand all that's been accomplished for you. And then with God's help, how will we live out for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ? When the bad report comes this week, when the bad news comes, when the relationship is hurt, when the, when the good news comes, when, the, when we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ and give him the glory for all that he is and all that he has done. It's the journey, the journey of the Savior to save our souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for the way that it works and changes us, conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. And Father, for people in the room today who've never trusted you, God, I pray that you would do a working in them, in their salvation. You would bring them to understand trying to get to God is not gonna get them anywhere. You have come to us in the Savior. Just believe and be saved. And then as followers of Jesus Christ, would you give us a, a renewed passion and hope to live out for you just based on the things that Isaiah understood of who you were? God, when we're in it up to our necks this week and we don't know where to turn, would we turn to the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Do this work in us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.